the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Welcome to One on One with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on this episode, it is guitarist Luke Morley from the band Thunder. The new album is Rip It Up, and uh, I think I geeked out on this interview, quite frankly. I love, love Thunder, and uh, speaking to Luke was a great, great pleasure. And uh, there you go. So uh, why don't you check that out first? Head over to Twitter. Check me out at Mitch LaFon, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And now here is the one, the only, the formidable Luke Morley. We are speaking with Thunder guitarist Luke Morley. The new album is Rip It Up. And that's hard for me to say as an Ace Fraley fan. I keep wanting to say rip it out, but it's rip it up. (laughs) Thanks, Mitch. Good to be here. Yeah, pleasure to speak with you. So, um, you know, let's get right into the new album first, and then maybe we'll start looking back at at Terraplane and at Danny and and the whole history of the band. Um, Sort of what motivates you at this point to keep making music and also, um, you know, how conscious of you of what of what the fans like and their taste. Are you, are you at this point where you sort of make, hey, I'll just do whatever sounds good to me and whatever? Well, I think when we when we started Thunder, the philosophy was precisely that, really, because I think if you go back beyond Thunder to Terraplane, we, I think we, the, the big mistake that we made being young, kind of impressionable kids was that we, we listened far too much to the people around us, whether it was our record company or our management, and that ended up with us, you know, not, not doing, not doing very well. So when we started Thunder, um, there was a definite uh, and very kind of resolute decision made, which was that we would make music that we love to play, and then we would live or die by that. And uh, yeah, and we we're still the same, really. I mean, you know, uh, I write the songs, and I, I I just try and write stuff that that I think that I like, um, and that I think will you know the band will be able to kind of do justice to and. Stuff that's right for Danny's voice, stuff that's right for Harry's drums. You know, we've been doing it a long time now, so you know, we we kind of know what what fits. And um, you know, and, and then if we can, in the process of doing that, if we can stretch out into a few sort of different or new areas along the way, then that's great because you know we we don't want to repeat ourselves if if we, if we can avoid it. And uh, yeah, and then hopefully, you know, you make a record that you're proud of, and then hopefully you put it out there, and you know, enough people like it and buy it and buy the concert tickets to to enable you to keep having a living, really. And that's kind of the way, you know, I look at it. Uh, you know, we're very lucky that we get to do what we love to do um, and get paid for it. It's amazing. Yeah, especially after all these years. Talking about concert tickets and, and getting people to come out, North America, which is yeah. where I'm from, has been an exceptionally difficult market for the band, if that's fair to say. Where do you think... That's an understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah, isn't it, though? Um <laughs> why, why do you, th- I mean, you look at, there are some bands like Status Quo, like Thunder. Um, for some reason, North America is just an incredibly difficult nut to crack. What do you think it's been so hard for Thunder to establish here? Well, I think, I think you know, sometimes, you know, you're, it's, it's about timing some of the time. You know, we, I mean, our, our timing in the rest of the world was unusually good. Um in the States, uh, Canada, it was kind of, you know, we, well, when Backstreet Symphony was released by Geffen, um, I think we sold 250,000 copies in the US and, um, it, you know, we were all over MTV like a rash and it was looking very, very good. This was like summer of 91. And then, um, uh, then grunge happened. And what happened was uh, our label, uh, obviously being Geffen at the time, 
I think they bought Stump Pop, so they automatically had Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins. And Nirvana just took off like a like a rocket. And I think what they did was their their whole of their kind of marketing spend and priority went in that general direction, which left the more kind of traditional bands on Geffen, like uh, ourselves, Aerosmith, uh, Guns N' Roses maybe, slightly kind of um, in, in a weak position. And of course, the difference between us and Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses is that both those two bands had sold millions of albums. And, and we kind of weren't at that, at that stage in our career. So, you know, we like, we found ourselves in a, in a difficult position because uh, Laughing on Judgment Day, I don't think even, you know, barely got released in the States. And uh, the third album, despite the fact we went to America uh, to make it, to kind of involve Geffen, uh, was never released over there. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, you know, uh, as Danny says jokingly, if I ever meet Kurt Cobain, I'm going to kill him. Um, <laughs> so, sort of gallows humour. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I mean, you, you know, we, like I said, we, we're very fortunate. You know, we, we've made a, a good living this for a lot of years, and it is a, it is a source of, of, of um, regret, and probably the only one, actually, that we – we haven't done more over there or done something over there really uh but you know we, we still live in hope i mean our uh, our european label at the moment apparently has got uh or just about to appoint a new licensee in north america so that may be you know maybe something just simple like that which is the kind of catalyst um i think you know for us realistically to, to do it now i think we'd probably have to come over as a special guest on somebody else's tour i think that's probably the only way we could really approach it um but, you know, we, we'd still, all of us, believe me when I say sincerely, would all really love to do it. Um, yeah, I'd love because, to see you do it, actually. Quite you know, I keep just, having this, go ahead. It's just kind of, it is, it is a great frustration. But, um, you know, we, we haven't given up yet, let's put it that way. Yeah, and I, and I keep having this wild fantasy, if I ever win the lottery, that I'm going to have a thunder secret show. So, so there's, there, there, there is hope. Uh, you mentioned Terraplane before, which of course uh -huh. was the band just previous to Thunder. Yeah. Three of the guys are in Thunder. Uh -huh. uh, why not continue as Terraplane? Why was a decision made to disband that and then start a new band? Why not just sort of change some members and just maybe change musical direction? Well, we felt that to give the new songs and, um, you know, a much more kind of, you know, because when, when we had the songs for, for the first Thunder album or the first few of those songs, we, we, we knew that we had a very kind of um, sort of, you know, defined kind of direction musically. Uh, and um, we felt it was very good for that particular time being, you know, the end of the 80s and, you know, with bands like Guns and, and Aerosmith doing so well. So we, you know, we, we figured that to give it the best kind of um, send off and the best kind of, uh, you know, beginning that to kind of associate it with something which hadn't done very well would be much harder for people to embrace it. Whereas if we gave it a new name, you know, I mean, it's, it, it sounds like a really sort of fundamental thing, but to people, particularly a lot, lots of media people, tend to embrace things when they're new and shiny because everybody's looking for the next big thing. Whereas if it's something that's already associated with uh, failure, <laughs> then it's a bit more difficult to convince them, you know. So I think it was just we were just being pragmatic, really. I think we we felt we would give it a better chance if we if we came up with a new name, which makes sense. Rebranding re is always difficult. Uh, Danny, yeah, your your partner of, I guess we're going on to like forty years almost, right? Since I've, yeah. I've, um, you know, I'm sure at times he's been your best friend and I'm sure at other times he's been your worst enemy, but 
overall, uh, what has Danny meant to you personally? What has he meant to you professionally? Um, how have you survived together for 40 years? I think uh, that's a very good question. Um, that is a very, very good question. Well, we're a bit like a married couple, really. I mean, I, in, in an odd sense, in that I think we are um, we're both quite different as people, um, you know, and our, our kind of our, uh, paths of our lives kind of proves that really. You know, he, he's kind of he's got three kids. Uh, I never particularly wanted to go down that route. Um, I, you know, for me, I just sort of, um, you know, that kind of commitment terrified the crap out of me. So I just. I just kind of avoided it, really. Having said that, I am, I'm very happily married now. But, um, you know, I, I think it took me a lot longer to grow up. It was always a lot more pragmatic. And I think I was always much more of a dreamer, really. And um, I think that's probably why uh, now at this stage in our career, you know, I write the band's music and, and songs and, um, you know, he, he manages the band. So, you know, that in that in that statement there, you can see kind of quite how different we are. But I think both of us are smart enough to realise that... Um, when when we work with the other one, then we you know we tend to bring the best out of each other in a lot of ways. So um, I think that's that's the key to the relationship. And also I think the reason that we've remained friends for such a long time is I think we don't you know we don't press each other's buttons the wrong way. Um, and I think we're both quite good at giving each other space when we need it. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just a, a, a good, solid, strong friendship that, that, that works. Um, and, you know, we have respect for each other. Um, and we, but we're both kind of capable of, of kind of doing for the other one what they need, you know, in, in, in terms of, you know, work, how we look at the world generally and all sorts of things, really. I think we're just very complimentary. And I, you know, and that's, that's the key to it, really. When the band sort of broke up in the early 2000s, um, is that where you sort of noticed that it was a little different without Danny around? Um, yeah, I think, of course. Um, I mean, you know, the interesting thing about, um, about kind of, about music, I think, is always, you know, for me, um, probably a lot more than Danny, the, the creation of the music, the making, the writing of the songs, making the records is obviously something that I'm, I, I love to do. I think he sees that kind of more of the task bit. He loves performing, as we both do. But I think the, the making of the records, I think, is a bit painful if you don't um, if you don't play an instrument and you don't write songs. You know, he comes in and he sings and, you know, he, he tells us what he thinks and stuff. But it's quite difficult if you don't... It's, it's almost like going to a country if you don't speak a language, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, from that point of view, um, from a creative point of view, it's almost like, right, well, okay, well, okay, so I'm not writing for Danny anymore. Who am I writing for? Whose voice am I writing for? So, it's a, it's a sort of, you know, you've got to be sort of, once again, practical about it and say, well, you know, how do I, you know, what these, are the, these this is the skill set I possess and this is the thing I like, to, these are the things I like to do. So, you know, you go back and you think, well, I'll, I'll find somebody else to work with. And um, obviously the last time we stopped, I, I made three albums with a, a guy called uh, Peter Shoulder and that was under the name of The Union, which was great fun. Um which I was going to ask you about next, actually. Um, okay, it's a neat segue then. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so uh, perfect, right, right into it. So, uh, you of course did El Gringo Retro back in two thousand one, and then you have the union with with Pete, who also came in and replaced Ben in the band when he was uh, yeah. indisposed. I guess is the best word for it. Yeah. Um, where do we? Where does that leave us with the union? Is that something that listen while Thunderworks 
it's on the back burner, or do we see an album in 2018? Is that is that something that you still want to do? Is have this sort of side project or band or or career? Well, I do like to do different things, um, you know, because uh, I think it keeps my contribution to the Thunder very fresh. You know, if I if I but if I put Thunder down for a while and go off and do something else, I mean, last year I produced an album by an all-girl band from Scotland called the Amorettes, um, which was great fun. They're sort of like the Ramones meets ACDC meets, I don't know, they're, they're very noisy, but they make a good noise. Um, and I, I spent uh, six weeks doing an album with them, which is great fun. Um, and, uh, you know, that was in the middle of recording Rip It Up, so it was kind of good for me to go do something else and then come back. So I came back really fresh. But... Uh, no, I think it's 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 good for musicians um, to to work with different people sometimes. I mean, you know, I think as far as uh, the union goes, it then it, it depends completely on the amount of time that's available, um, and also depends on what Pete's up to. You know, he's he's kind of in a, in a kind of writing and, and demoing stage at the moment. Um, well, I'm not quite sure. It, it, I think he's got something going on. He's been. He's playing his cards quite close to his chest. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not quite sure what that is. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I still get on great with Peter. And, you know, he um, is a superb musician, fantastic singer. And I hope we do get to work again um, together. And, and, you know, whether it's kind of under the guise of the union or, you know, sometimes, I mean, when, I, I'm not, I don't know if you know this, but every what we used to do every year was a, a Christmas show in the UK. Yes, I, I'm going to get to you about that in a minute. Okay. Well, basically, just to augment the band with a few extra musicians, um, and Pete was nearly always the extra guitar player, uh, extra keyboard player, a couple of backing vocalists, whatever. And then we do, we kind of we basically do a mixture of, of Thunder songs and our favourite cover versions, uh, or you know, songs that we like from the past, and uh, and that's always great fun to do. So yeah, Pete's kind of like part of the Thunder family. You know, he's not in the band, but um, he's somebody who's very close to us and knows what we do. And uh, you know, as I said, when Benny got ill, he. He stepped in kind of seamlessly. Um, so, and, you know, he's somebody I love to work with. But, um, yeah, and I'm sure I'll do other things on the side as well. Uh, you know, because, I, I, like I said, it keeps me fresh. Yeah. Um, before we get to the Christmas shows, let me let me ask you about Ben. He he did get ill, and, and it did send sort of shockwaves through the fan base. How scared were you when you heard the news? And, and just sort of talk to me a little bit of how he's doing now. I'm, uh, obviously, he's on the new album. He's been out on tour, so he must be doing perfectly well. But... Was there this, this sort of incredible fear when the news came out? Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's a shock because, right. first of all, it's shock because, you, you know, you don't, I mean, we just, not long before uh, his diagnosis, we'd been out in Japan um, and we had a great time. We'd done like a week, a week and a bit over there, done some great shows, you know, and we came back, so, okay, have a great Christmas. And um and off we went to our families and stuff. And uh, he, uh, yeah, that, and then I had a phone call, I think it was probably the first week of January, uh, sort of telling me. And, um, yeah, it's the shock more than anything. You're just not expecting it. Um, but, you know, that's life, isn't it? You know, it, it's it's always what happens while you're making other plans. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, you kind of go, okay, right, well, how's this going to how's this gonna work then? And, um, you know, and we had a couple of band meetings sort of fairly immediately after his diagnosis where he was kind of joking about it. And, um, and we were kind of – because obviously we we – you know, committed to, to recording uh, Wonder Days at that point. So we knew that, um, you know, we couldn't sort of pull out of that. So we had to kind of crack on into it. Um, and, you know, we just said to him, you know, you've got to deal with this, take your time. You know, you know, if you can play on a record, great. If you can't, it doesn't matter. We'll work it out. 
just get yourself better. And that obviously becomes the immediate priority. And, uh, you know, he had a, a very, very difficult few months. Um, uh, and the treatment, obviously, I mean, it knocks the hell out of you. And, uh, you know, he, he did all the classic stuff, you know, he lost loads of weight, his hair fell out, all the usual stuff that happens. And, um, you know, and it was never easy seeing, you know, your good friends kind of go through that. But, you know, we, uh, you know, we rallied around as best we could. His family, he's got a lovely family. They were terrific with him and, and uh, you know, lots of great friends. So, you know, it was, I guess, as, as easy as these things can be. And I think also the, the major thing was that his prognosis was very, very good because the kind of cancer that he had is apparently one of the uh, most successful cure rate is in the 90 percent um and uh, the flip side of that though of course is it's also one of the most painful um so yeah uh he had a fairly unpleasant few months but he came through it with flying colors and um you know and and i look at him now I'm, on stage i can't stand too close to him now because he makes me look a fat bastard because he's really slim now <laughs> <laughs> that's funny uh, that, that's funny so so let me get back to these christmas shows um yeah. Being a fan in North America, especially pre-sort of, I don't want to say pre-internet, but pre-before there was all these music websites, sure. you know, we didn't hear about these shows because you, you weren't Kiss or Aerosmith and Guns yeah. N' Roses. People weren't talking about Thunder, which is completely ridiculous, by the way. But you have all these things recorded, and you made them available for fans uh, for a limited time. Yeah. But a fan like myself can't buy them, and it drives me crazy. Is there at uh, any point uh, some kind of let's put them up digitally, let's re-release them, repackage them, that they're somewhat different so that the people who got the limited edition don't feel like... I mean, what do we do with all this stuff? <laughs> right, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, we're at the point in our career now where we have a, a, you know, a large kind of back catalogue. So um, we're over the last couple of years, we've had various discussions with, with people about... Um, you know, having some kind of all singing, all dancing, all encompassing um, box set that's got literally fucking every oops, sorry, literally everything in it. Um, so, swearing is perfectly fine, by the way. Okay, no, uh, um, so that's kind of where we're at. we're having that discussion at the moment. So I think I think I'd probably be it would be accurate to say that we will at some point have pretty much everything out there. Um, you know, I mean, hard copies, I mean, CDs, whatever. That, that's certainly our intention is to, um, you know, look at the back catalogue um, and, and you know, try and, um, you know, have something which is kind of all-encompassing. Obviously, the, the, you know, the longer our, our career goes on, the more difficult it is to do that. And it's a hell of a task, you know, to undertake. But it is our plan to, to try and try and do that. I mean, you know, we and we... You know, I mean, some of those Christmas show albums, you know, there's just moments that are very, very special in them, you know. So it would be good to, uh, it would be good to kind of, you know, get them all in the right place and, and out there, you know. Yeah, I fully agree. And the, the three or four that I've been able to, to, to get, I just absolutely adore. And that also goes for all the, you know, you look at any release, even Wonder Days and Rip It Out, there's always a bonus four-track EP or live in Japan. Or Is this all going to be called at some point? And... Just sort of, what what's the thought process between doing all those extra tracks? Why not just say this is rip it up? These are twelve songs. Off we yeah. go. Um, I think I think you know, Mitch. I think what it is is that I think it's a mixture of necessity um, in the sense that 
these days, because record sales are not what they were, or album sales but, um, in whatever format are not what they were, uh, the nice thing about being in a rock band is that um, you know people that like our kind of area of music tend to prefer hard copies. So they like a CD or they like a you know they like a vinyl. So we, we I think from our point of view as well, we, we like to you know try and you know we'll basically just give the best value for money that we can. So you know if that means adding a, a bonus disc or a live recording. Um, you know, we'll do it. I mean, this is obviously coming come out of years and years of, of us talking to, to the fans and, and uh, people that like the band about what they like and how, you know, because obviously, we, you know, we want to we want to make them happy because, you know, they, God bless them, they pay for us to do this. So, you know, it's very important to us that we do offer value for money and get that side of it right. And it means in doing that, obviously, there's going to be lots of stuff out there. But, you know, hey, you know, people work very hard for their money these days. And if they go into a, a store or Amazon or wherever it is to buy their um, the, the thing online, it's good, I think, that for them to feel like they're, they're really getting their money's worth. And, you know, that's the main reason for doing it, I guess. Yeah, and, and I have to say I'm one of those. I, I have spent countless hours uh, tracking down all these different songs from all these different websites, you know, the disc, uh, discogs. Anyway, I've got it all in hard copy. Um, 2009, 20 years and out, the farewell tour. You're in great company. You're there with uh, Ozzy, Kiss, The Who, Scorpions. A farewell tour that wasn't a farewell tour. Um, <laughs> now, I'm, I'm sure it was well-intentioned, but where after in like sort of 2010 do you say, oh, you know, sorry for the language, but oh, fuck, what do we do? We, we, we've got more to say. Um, well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think when we stopped, when we stopped in 2009, I mean, basically Danny wanted to have a go at something else. Um, he wanted to go and become an agent, um, you know, which is, you know, his, his prerogative. And, and, you know, I think probably, you know, if, if ever there's that nagging doubt in the back of your mind about doing something or trying something new, you know, you, you can't wait until it's too late, you know. So I think he decided he wanted to do that. Uh, the rest of us sat down and talked about it. Um, I didn't particularly want to go through the misery of auditioning singers and, and that whole thing. I just felt it would have been counterproductive to, um, you know, um, to, to go down that road because I, I think that, you know, you know, the, the key elements of Thunder are, are what they are and I think if you change any of that, then it isn't Thunder anymore. So I, I, I wasn't prepared to do that. Um, and the rest of the guys understood that and that was fine. So, so off we trotted. And then, obviously, the, the lovely thing about Thunder is that, you know, whenever we've ceased to exist temporarily, it's never been because of personal reasons. It's always because, you know, other circumstances or we didn't want to do that anymore or whatever it was. So it's never been because we've fallen out as, as, as people. So um, basically, you know, 2009 came, we, we toured, we went everywhere, had a great time, and then that, that was that. Um, we all moved on with what we, whatever it was we were doing. Um, but obviously, you know, we spoke all the time. Um, and you know the, the thunder kind of uh, the thunder business, if you like, was ongoing. We're still selling records, and you know the shop was still like that. All that stuff was still ticking over. So you know, obviously, we'd reconvene every every sort of few weeks and have dinner or have a drink or whatever. Um, and then um, in 2012, uh, what happened was we um, Danny and I went and had dinner, um, and we'd uh, been offered this uh, festival in the UK, and um, we just thought, oh, yeah, it's a one-off, what the hell. It won't hurt, and it'll be good fun. Um, so we did that, 
And then it was like, well, look, if we're going to do one, why don't we just go out and do a few festivals across Europe? This also coincided with Danny and I having a large tax bill. That may have had something to do with it. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's what's the best motivating. Part? Exactly right. What's the best, what's the most fun we can do making money? So it's like, well, let's do a couple of Thunder shows. And um, and so we did. And then uh, there was uh, our uh, good friend, uh, Andy Copping, who's a promoter in the UK, said, oh, guys, look, you know, you're going out, you're going to do these shows. So... Um, why he said, look, I've got this bill coming coming to the UK, it's a Journey and White Snake. You know, why don't you join that bill? We'd love to have you on it, sort of thing. And so we thought, well, look, we're rehearsing anyway. God, it'll be, it'll be fun. Let's do it. Um, so we did that, and something sort of kind of clicked on those shows. Really, we, we were playing in Cardiff and Wales, and uh, we came on stage, and the audience. Literally, we finished the first song, and then the audience—it was kind of a standing ovation, and then some. You know, we we literally couldn't play anything for a couple of minutes as the audience was making so much noise, and it was uh, quite overwhelming. Um, and I think you know, the day after, um, we were we were flying out to Germany for a festival, and Danny and I were sitting on the plane. I said, you know, we should make a record because if we don't do it now, we probably never will. And there's still obviously a lot of love left for the band, so right, let's do it. Um, and by that time, I think he he realised being an agent wasn't for him. So so that's what we did, and uh, and here we are now. You know. Yeah, and it, tur- it turned out great. Now I know we're we're running out of time, so I'll finish with a couple of these questions here. Uh, Bose and Morley, Moe's Barbecue, and Moving Along, uh, Moving Swiftly Along. By the way, yep. um, I love those albums. They're they're and and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but they're quirky. Just in the fact that there's sort of I don't want to say there's dance, but there's there's just different musical elements going on that that for than Thunder. Uh, is that something you'd like to do again? Uh, do another Bose and Morley? Yeah, possibly. I mean, uh, you know, they were great fun to do those albums, and um, yeah, it's nice to uh, it's nice to kind of you know, I mean, you know, with Thunder, it's a bit like you know, it's a bit like being in Queen or, or Led Zeppelin or any rock band. Really, you, there's an expectation, um, and um, you know, while you within the kind of the parameters of what you do, you can kind of you can you can try different stuff. Um, I think you know if we decided to make a, a, a you know a, a concept reggae album, I think our fans would be very disappointed. Um, but I think the nice thing about doing you know about Bows and Morley is that you know we could do anything we wanted to do, um, or just something we could dabble in different musical areas. Really, you know, there may not be things that we wanted to do all the time, but it's just it's kind of like having a bit of fun musically without there being any kind of consequences. Because obviously Bows and Morley, nobody's expecting anything particularly. Um, I'm expecting to hear Danny's voice and me playing the guitar, but you know, in terms of musical style, there's no particular expectation. So, you know, that's kind of quite freeing. You could argue that perhaps, you know, the flip side of that as well, you know, yeah, you can do anything you like, but you know, is, is it kind of disciplined? Is it going to kind of hang together? Uh, and you know, I mean, for my money, I, I, I quite enjoy those albums, but they are kind of disjointed in a kind of, but in a kind of good way, I think. Um, yeah, I think quirky yeah. is the best way to describe them. They're they're exactly. they're. There's not a musical motif, if you want, to them, but every song has this uniqueness, and they're endearing. They're, they're, it's just they're fun. I, I listen yeah. to both of them all summer, and they're just they're great sort of fun summer, frivolous, if that's a if that's not too negative kind of music. No, absolutely. I think that's probably why you know they were fun to do. Is that, except, like I said, you know, no kind of particular expectation, and you just get in a go. Oh, that's cool. I'll, you know, let's do it. It's good. You know, yeah, good so there's much thought involved. <laughs> and uh, let's just quickly move over to the Spanish sessions. Uh, Andy Taylor of Duran Duran. Uh, you know, because he was in Duran Duran, a lot of people don't see him as being this guitar, uh, guitar god, I guess, for the lack of a better word. But 
he's just an incredible guitarist. How was it working for him, uh, not for him, with him? And do you think you might want to do something down the road with him? Yeah, I love working with Taylor. I mean, he, you know, he, he and I, um, he's one of the few people. I mean, obviously, a lot of the time, most of my career as a, as a, as a, certainly as a writer, I, I, I've written on my own. I mean, you know, there's been a few people, I've written with, with a few people here and there, but, you know, Peter, obviously from the union, I've enjoyed writing with, and I really, really enjoyed working with Taylor as well. Um, and, uh, you know, Andy's like, uh, Andy's one of those people I, I can go without seeing him for years, and then we'll meet up somewhere and have a great night and um, have fun. And, and you know, it, music, uh, writing for, for when, you know, we just sort of sit there getting guitars out and stuff happens. It's one of those relationships, which is great fun. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I certainly wouldn't write that off. Um, he's he's out uh, living in uh, in Ibiza at the minute, and he's been out there a few years. You know, and we speak um, reasonably regularly. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we're always talking about getting together. You know, it's you know, uh, obviously things kind of conspire against you, and, and obviously I've been very very busy with the Thunder thing. But you know, Andy was integral in the beginning of Thunder. You know, he really was, and so. Um, you know, he'll always kind of, like I said, be part of the extended Thunder family as well in that sense. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to work with Andy again. You, you said he was integral in the beginning. How so? It, that's sort of part of the, the history that I missed along the way. What, what did he you know, sort of contribute to the Thunder legacy? Well, what happened was when we, when we were kind of between Terraplane and Thunder, I'd written sort of two or three of the songs that went on to be on the first Thunder album. And... Um, We'd sort of changed management and we were going through the whole kind of process of, you know, reassembling ourselves, as it were. And um, our accountant, we appointed this new accountant and we were sort of having a conversation with him and we were saying, you know, well, we need to find somebody to produce produce the album. Um, and he said, well, um, he said, Andy Taylor's one of my clients. And my ears picked up a bit because, I, you know, whilst I wasn't a massive fan of Duran, um, I was I admired the power station greatly and, and um, loved the sound of those records, loved Andy's guitar playing. Um, I said, oh, you know, well, you know, can we meet him? So um, he was making a, a, I think a solo album at the time. So I trotted up to um, Chipping Norton Studios in Oxfordshire on Sunday morning. And, and, and it was great. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. And I sort of waited in this darkened room. And he came in wearing sunglasses. And I thought, I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> so we, we sat down, had a quick chat. And then we agreed to reconvene the following week at his apartment in London. And um, we wrote She's So Fine, which is the first song on the first Thunder album. And, um, you know, um, and we just got on very well um, as people, as writers, you know, and his reference points were all kind of the same as mine. And, he, he, he you know, he really wanted to be in a rock and roll band. Um, it was kind of an accident that he joined Duran in, that, you know, he, he, he lived he, right up in the northeast of England, Newcastle. He saw this ad in Melody Maker for guitar player needed in, in, in the Birmingham area. And he went along and, you know, I think three years later, they were like the biggest band in the world. So it's one of those strange things that happens occasionally. Um, and, you know, I think being in Duran for him, obviously, you know, you know obviously made his life. But um, I think he, towards the end, he was feeling very frustrated musically. Uh, and that's the power station kind of came out of that frustration. Um, and, um, you know, I think after the power station, I think he found it difficult to go back to Duran and then he quit and a year or two goes by, he came back to England and that's when we met him. But I think his, his main contribution as, as well as, you know, producing, producing the, the album, his main, I think, is, you know, because we'd had this kind of slightly negative experience with going through the terraplane thing. And, you know, I think we probably lost a little bit of confidence and, uh, 
you know, as soon as we, he got the band in the studio, he said, it's great, but just do it more, do it louder, turn it up and, and you know, and don't worry about it. Have, a, have another beer, everything's going to be fine. So he, he enabled us to kind of relax and he, he kind of unburdened us, I think, of our past in, in, a, in a very good way. Um, and the atmosphere in the, uh, well, I think it was Ben who described recording a Backstreet Symphony as a party where an album broke out. And I think that's probably about right. Um, you know, we spent a lot of, a lot of time having fun on the album and, um, you know, and, and he's, he was a kind of, he was a very good attitude manager. Uh, you know, he got us in the right frame of mind and that's obviously we needed that at the time. Yeah. And of course I had a senior moment there. I, I completely forgot that he, um, produced Backstreet Symphony. Yeah. Um, there you go. Uh, you know, I could do this for another hour, but uh, we'll, we'll respect our time here. But So thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. The, the new album, of course, comes out February 10th. It is fantastic, and it is Rip It Up. Uh, Rip It Out is the Ace Frehley song, so let's not make that mistake again. Um, great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. No worries. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Take Bye. care. And there you have it, folks, my interview with Thunder guitarist Luke Morley. The new album is, of course, Rip It Up. It is fan-fantastic. You must buy it. Don't even check it out. Buy it. And while you're buying it, go out and buy all the other stuff, Backstreet Symphony, All You Can Eat, all of the albums. Uh, they are absolutely fabulous, um, worth every single penny. And, of course, shame on North America for not having made uh, thunder as big as Def Leppard or you know any of the European bands, Scorpions, Iron Maiden, etc. The band is just fantastic. Uh, please uh, check me out on Twitter at Mitch Lafon, and if you care to support the podcast, it is uh, PayPal.me forward slash Mitch Lafon. And on that, I bid you a fond farewell. Au revoir, arrivederci, buenos no chase, and all that other stuff. Cheers. Bye bye now. Bye for now. <laughs>